Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 to 34, as we read of the Lord's Supper there. We will also be reading in the Belgic, Article 35, on the Lord's Supper to understand scripture's teaching of this sacrament. That can be found on page 193 in your Forms and Prayers book. So 1 Corinthians 11 and page 193 in your Forms and Prayers book. We read this in anticipation of the sacrament we will partake of later. Before we read, let's ask for God's blessing on the reading and preaching of his word. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you and we pray for your enlightening as we open your word. We pray that we would be receptive to it, that we would not have hard hearts to reject the truth, that the truth would come upon us, that you would use your sword in scripture to cut away that which is wrong, that which is sinful, our incorrect thinking or understandings. And we pray as well that you would use the balm of your word to so heal us and help us to draw nearer to you, receiving peace from knowing your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 17. Paul says, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Ascends the reading of God's word. You see Paul come down very strong on the Corinthians and the way they are handling this sacrament in the Lord's Supper. And we see just briefly there the importance of the importance of rightly understanding and administering this sacrament. There is an actual danger 
very clearly presented in this text for those who mishandle the sacrament, not only for the body as a whole, but as well for that individual who could eat and drink judgment on themselves. And so Paul gives this warning for those who had taken a meal that was supposed to bring about fellowship and an understanding of their communion together in Christ and had instead made it a meal of division and separation where there were those who had nothing and those who had abundance and the body and its unity was destroyed We read as well from Article 35 of the Belgic to gain a proper understanding of what Scripture teaches of the sacrament. Article 35 says, We believe and confess that our Savior Jesus Christ has ordained and instituted the sacrament of the Holy Supper to nourish and sustain those who are already born again and engrafted into his family, his church. Now those who are born again have two lives in them. The one is physical and temporal. They have it from the moment of their first birth, and it is common to all. The other is spiritual and heavenly, and is given them in their second birth. It comes through the word of the gospel in the communion of the body of Christ, and this life is common to God's elect only. Thus, to support the physical and earthly life, God has prescribed for us an appropriate earthly and material bread, which is as common to all as life itself also is but to maintain the spiritual and heavenly life that belongs to believers, he has sent a living bread that came down from heaven, namely Jesus Christ, who nourishes and maintains the spiritual life of believers when eaten, that is, when appropriated and received spiritually by faith. To represent to us this spiritual and heavenly bread, Christ has instituted an earthly and visible bread as the sacrament of his body and wine as the sacrament of his blood. He did this to testify to us that just as truly as we take and hold the sacraments in our hands and eat and drink it in our mouths, by which our life is then sustained, so truly we receive into our souls for our spiritual life the true body and true blood of Christ, our only Savior. We receive these by faith, which is the hand and mouth of our souls. Now it is certain that Jesus Christ did not prescribe his sacraments for us in vain, Since he works in us all he represents by these holy signs. Although the manner in which he does it goes beyond our understanding and is incomprehensible to us, just as the operation of God's Spirit is hidden and incomprehensible to us. Yet we do not go wrong when we say that what is eaten is Christ's own natural body, and what is drunk is his own blood. But the manner in which we eat it is not by mouth, but by the Spirit through faith. In that way, Jesus Christ remains always seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, but he never refrains on that account to communicate himself to us through faith. This banquet is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself to us with all his benefits. At that table, he makes us enjoy himself as much as the merits of his suffering and death as he nourishes, strengthens, and comforts our poor, desolate souls by the eating of his flesh and relieves and renews them by the drinking of his blood. Moreover, though the sacraments and the things signified are joined together, not all receive both of them. The wicked person certainly takes the sacrament to his condemnation, but does not receive the truth of the sacrament. Just as Judas and Simon the sorcerer both indeed receive the sacrament, but not Christ, who is signified by it, he is communicated only to believers." 
Finally, with humility and reverence, we receive the Holy Sacrament in the gathering of God's people as we engage together with thanksgiving in a holy remembrance of the death of Christ our Savior and as we thus confess our faith and Christian religion. Therefore, no one should come to this table without examining himself carefully, lest by eating this bread and drinking this cup he eat and drink to his own judgment. In short, by the use of this holy sacrament, we are moved to a fervent love of God and our neighbors. Therefore, we reject as desecrations of the sacraments all the muddled ideas and damnable inventions that men have added and mixed in with them. And we say that we should be content with the procedure that Christ and the apostles have taught us and speak of these things as they have spoken of them. This is where we receive the understanding of Scripture's teaching of the Lord's Supper, and it's a beautiful explanation, a very thorough one, one that we would do well to pay heed as we look at God's Word. People of God, an early 2000s report by the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University said that teens who have fewer than three family dinners per week compared to peers who sit down with their families five to seven times are more than one and a half times likelier to have friends who drink regularly and use marijuana, one and a half times likelier to have friends who abuse prescription drugs in order to get high, one and a quarter times more likely to have friends who use illegal drugs such as LSD, ecstasy, cocaine, methamphetamine, and heroin. Why am I saying this? Well, clearly, this study found a link between the health of a family and the time that they take to gather together as a family and eat and break bread together. Not that I would say there's some special power in a family meal, but that it is a wise practice before God. And I want to use that as an illustration, just as the study found that those who regularly eat with their family are generally healthier or generally more wise in their friends, how they live and what they turn to. Just as that is true in that level, so this sacrament is true spiritually. So as we gather together and partake of the Lord's Supper as his corporate body, so we too are nourished and strengthened spiritually. So we are better equipped to face the temptations of the world, better able to face what the world would throw at us and what our sins and temptations would come against us, even through partaking, yes, of this sacrament. Now, do we afford some special power to these elements, as the Belgic was talking about? Of course not, is what the Belgic would say. Of course not. This isn't a magical bread, and it isn't magical wine, but it is through our own belief and our faith by which we partake of the nourishment that the Lord's Supper offers, and so receive strength, nourishment for our faith. That's what... This article is all about, and this is why Paul is so interested that the Corinthians get this right and understand it, because to neglect this is to neglect a very strong way of, a very strong way of strengthening your faith. It's a good way of putting it, but you see what I'm saying? What, by putting it aside, you are turning away from God's ordained means to strengthen your faith. And by misunderstanding it, you're placing yourself in grave danger. So we have to properly understand what is going on in the supper and in the sacrament itself. And we're going to look at that this morning under four points. First, communion's purpose. Second, communion's provisions. Third, communion's participants. And fourth, communion's preparation. First, communion's purpose. If I had to summarize this whole point, it would just be a table to nourish. 
What is communion's purpose? It is a table to nourish, to nourish faith. Though the Belgic does not mention these by name, it's clearly responding to the false teachings of the Roman Catholics and Lutherans and how they understood and how they taught about this supper, even how they practiced it. And so the Belgic is coming in and trying to walk the correct scriptural line between their errors. And it is not a table to take away our sin. It is not a table that is a sacrifice. It is not a table of regeneration. It's a table to nourish. It's not a table that by which we come and have sins wiped away. That, has, that happens in Christ. This is for those who have faith and come to strengthen and feed upon Christ. You can't feed upon Christ without that faith. This table is only for those who have that faith. The Belgic seeks to explain that purpose. It says that the Lord's Supper is to nourish and sustain those already born again and engrafted into Christ's family. It's a covenant meal. It's a family meal. It belongs only to the covenant people. It belongs only to that family. And it bears nutrition only to them. To those who want to partake of some power there, they'll find only judgment without the hands of faith able to grasp spiritually our Lord Jesus Christ. It also talks about in the beginning our our lives, that there are two lives in us, both a physical and a spiritual, and it makes that connection that just as our physical life and body is nourished by bread and wine, so too our phys, our spiritual body is nourished by the body and blood of Christ that we receive in these physical signs through the power of the Spirit not through some change in the elements or through some power in, by, with, or around the elements, but through the Holy Spirit's use of them and our reception in faith. This is how we receive that nourishment. This is also why the Lord's Supper is a repeated sacrament. We talked last time about baptism, how it's only one. It's only to be given once. There is no such thing as a second baptism. To speak of a second baptism is to misunderstand baptism entirely. It's to misunderstand the covenant, and it can't be given more than one true time. But this sacrament is a daily one. You're only engrafted into Christ once with baptism and in faith. But with the Lord's Supper, we're continually and constantly fed upon him, nourished and strengthened. And so to understand the purpose of this sacrament helps us to walk the line between the errors. The Roman Catholic Church in 1562 at the Council of Trent decreed that the Eucharist, or communion, was a propitiatory sacrifice. That is, that it was meant to turn away the wrath of Almighty God. Now, if you believe that about this sacrament, it becomes, yes, a repeated one, but it becomes one that must be repeated to turn away God's wrath, one that's designed to cleanse you of your sins, one that you need to constantly partake so that you have right standing before God. But that's not what this is. To understand it as a meal to nourish faith means that this isn't rather to come and be cleansed of sin, as if Christ is sacrificed each time we take it. No, it's to come and commune with him, to fellowship with him, to enjoy his presence. We don't approach the table in the grief that we're sinful and need that washed away again. We approach the table in the joy to know that we're saved and even nourished and strengthened in the, in the process itself, in the sacrament itself. That's the beauty the Belgic makes it clear that this isn't 
the purpose to sacrifice Christ again. It's not a sacrifice, it's a supper. And we all know what a supper is. Supper is where the family gathers to eat in fellowship, be strengthened and nourished. And that's what we have here. Belgic also says that Christ did this to testify to us that just as truly as we take and hold the sacraments in our hands and eat and drink it in our mouths by which our life is then sustained, so truly we receive into our souls for our spiritual life the true body and true blood of Christ, our only Savior. What is the purpose of this table? To nourish. To nourish. That's the beauty, the richness, the love of God that's displayed here. He has provided for us that daily sustenance in this sacrament. So that's communion's purpose. Second, communion's provisions. Communion's provisions. What are what is presented at this table? So if we could summarize this point, we would say it's a table spread with the real deal. It's a table spread with the real deal. We don't have a bait and switch here. You know, you have that. You have imitation things. And, and you don't want that if you really like a good hamburger and you like beef. If someone brings you that mushroom burger, it's like, well, what happened? This isn't the real deal. This isn't what it's claiming to be. This isn't what I ordered at a restaurant, if you had that. Well, we can apply that here as well. This isn't some trickery by God. He doesn't call us to partake of Christ, but Christ isn't present there. We believe Christ is present there. The table is spread with the real deal. We have Christ. We are nourished by him using the imagery of the sacrament. We eat him, ingest him, and he becomes a part of our very being, nourishing us. It isn't in the elements. It's by faith. But he's there. He is spread at the table. His body and blood are there. The bread remains bread. The wine remains wine. But the Holy Spirit so uses this, this table to bring us to Christ's own body and to Christ's own blood, to the power that he achieved in his work of redemption, and we're connected with that. That's communion. That's fellowship. What is promised and presented at the table is that very thing we receive by faith. So we receive the real deal. And this is the understanding the Belgic gives. The Belgic says, Now it is certain that Jesus Christ did not prescribe his sacraments for us in vain, since he works in us all he represents by these holy signs. He works it in us. All of it. Saying that Jesus did not prescribe them in vain means there's more to it than, it's, than a mere remembrance. It's a mystical experience. That's what theologians, Reformed theologians, will use to talk about it. A mystical experience. A spiritual experience. One that we cannot fully comprehend or explain, but we can define and say we are so truly united to Christ and experience that fellowship with him even through the means of ordinary bread and wine. We draw near to him. This is the difference in our supper between how the church understands it. Most churches, I would say most Christians, understand this service as a memorial service to remember Christ. And in that way we could liken it to a funeral visitation. Most Christians treat the, the Lord's Supper like a funeral visitation, like here's his body displayed in front of us, and we come to remember what he did and to weep and mourn 
what he did, but to thank him for it in prayer. And that's, I think, how most people treat it. But this is not a funeral visitation. This is a family reunion. The two are very different. They bear some similarities. The family gathers in them both. But the one is a mourning experience. And the one is just to remember what was done. The other is to actually fellowship with him. Our family member, Christ, is not laying dead in a coffin in front of us to remember him. He's here with us. We gather together and have reunion with him. That's fellowship. That's the blessing of the Eucharist. That's communion with him. Drawing near, united to him. And this is why the Belgic says, Yet we do not go wrong when we say that what is eaten... Pay careful attention to this, that what is eaten is Christ's own natural body, and what is drunk is his own blood. We don't downplay the significance of Christ's presence here, but we properly understand it. We understand that just by partaking of the sacrament, one does not get it. It has to be faithfully received through faith. We affirm an actual and real presence of the Savior in the Supper, not physically present. His physical body is in heaven. We know this. We or our forefathers saw him ascend. That's where his body is. But he is also God. He is Lord and through the power of his spirit can take us to himself. And that's exactly what he does. I like this quote from P.Y. Young. He says, We are not left as orphans on earth who gazed wistfully into heaven where Christ reigns in glory. We're not left as orphans. Christ didn't abandon us. He didn't ascend to heaven and leave us alone. And we're left as his orphans here on earth to wistfully gaze up and wonder when will we be with him again. He has provided for us a ceremony, a symbol, by which we commune with him, by which he fellowships with us. D.Y.D. Young continues and says, By giving his spirit, Christ works the grace of our union and communion with him. By this means, we enjoy fellowship with the entire person, as well as with the work of our Redeemer. When you come to partake of the Lord's Supper, pray and be thankful. Be thankful for what he did. Remember it. That's not outside the bounds of what we do. But remember it and understand that in partaking, you are communing with him at that very moment through a powerful and even a mystical experience that goes on even as we partake. A spiritual experience. You know, it's the Reformed who properly understood and truly grasped the power of the Spirit here. Roman Catholics and Lutherans and others who misunderstand the sacrament have no place for the Spirit to operate. By making the elements become Christ himself, there is no need for the Spirit to unite us to Christ. There is no powerful working of the Spirit here to bring us to Christ's own presence. It's just there in the elements, and the Spirit is forgotten. It's this understanding, which we would say is the biblical one, that places the Spirit front and center. And doesn't that make sense? What did Christ say when he left? He said, it is better for me to depart and go to heaven, and I will send the Comforter. I will send you that paraclete, that helper. And we can start seeing, even in the sacrament itself, the truth of Christ's words. It is indeed better that Christ is bodily ascended in heaven, interceding on our behalf, sitting right next to the Father, bodily present there, mediating for us. And yet, by the power of his Spirit, we're not separated from him. 
We are communing with him. By the Spirit, we are made to partake, and that is even through the means of this supper itself. This is a direct activity of grace. The feast is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself with all of his benefits, and we partake of him. That's our second point, that it's, it's the real deal. What we receive in the table is that real deal. Third, communion's participants. Communion's participants. To summarize this point, we would say it's a table for Christ's family alone. Who belongs here? Who participates in this supper? Well, it's Christ's family, and it's Christ's family alone. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. The Belgic picks up on this and says, Moreover, though the sacraments and the things signified are joined together, and I'm going to pause there, the Belgic understands that the sacrament and the thing signified is joined together. It truly is. It isn't that we make the sacrament effective and powerful by our act of faith. No, by our act of faith, we receive what's there. We receive what's there. We're not making it powerful. We don't, by our response, make this sacrament efficacious. No, they are joined together. But then the Belgic says, but not all receive both of them. The wicked person certainly takes the sacrament to his condemnation, but does not receive the truth of the sacrament. Because Christ is present there and we receive him by the Spirit, we don't make it powerful, but we do receive him by our faith. In the words of Paul, the unbelievers partake not of Christ, but of condemnation. We might wish that if one was to partake of this without faith, all it would mean is that the truth and the substance of Christ just passed them by. But it's, it's actually stronger than that. It's not that just they can't reach up and receive, it's that there's a danger to them. It's that because he is present here to partake, to ingest of him but not in faith, is to bring upon yourself condemnation. To bring upon the whole body danger. This is why the elders fence the table. Our church and our churches do what would be considered by most churches in our country a rather unpopular activity to fence the table, to ask guests and visitors about their faith, about their life, to try to discern, are they able to partake in real faith? And others think that that's perhaps rude, that we shouldn't ask that. We should just let them come. But this would be profoundly unloving for us to do. What, what happens when you go to a zoo? When you go to the zoo to look at all the exhibits, to look at the wonderful animals that God has made, there's always a fence, and there's always a barrier, and there's always a trench. And you can see these animals, but something is fenced off, and so the zoo becomes a great place. You can go and see these animals, but in safety. And no one deems the the zoo as being rude that you can't walk up to the grizzly bear. Would that just be so rude of us to fence the danger there. And that's what's going on in the Lord's Supper. There is a power there, and a power that's a blessing to God's people, but a danger to those who don't partake in faith. And so, as Paul instructs the Corinthians as well, there is to be this understanding and preparation, a true belief in how you partake. And thus the elders protect those who don't have that faith from the judgment that they could receive partaking wrongfully. This is a table for God's people and God's people alone. One of blessing, but one of danger. 
1 Corinthians 11, 27-30 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. We better understand what we're doing here. There's danger. There's also blessing. And our churches need to understand this. This is the family meal, but another aspect of the family meal is that it's meant to be taken together. So you have the one, the participants are only the family, but you have the other aspect of that, that the whole family is to partake. It should be offered when the whole family corporately comes together. The Belgic is speaking here against another practice of the day, private masses. Private masses where those gathered could have their little private communion service. And the Belgic is speaking against that and saying, no, this is for all God's people. And you see that in 1 Corinthians. Paul is very committed that the whole congregation come together and the whole congregation experience that corporate fellowship because just as we drink of one cup, just as we eat of one bread, we are one body. And so the body should be gathered. This is what Paul says, that the church came together to partake of the Lord's Supper. They didn't do it privately. They didn't do it in their own homes. They gathered, and with the administration of God's word and the preaching of God's word, they partook of the supper. That's why the Belgic says, finally, with humility and reverence, we receive the Holy Sacrament, notice, in the gathering of God's people. Where is the Holy Sacrament? To be given in the gathering of God's people as we engage together with thanksgiving in a holy remembrance of the death of Christ our Savior and as we thus confess our faith in Christian religion. This is important to misunderstand this. We actually saw it happen in the last COVID experience where many churches decided and debated, do we have communion over live stream? Do we have communion virtually? Well, you see that a a virtual communion is no true communion. The body has to come together. The body is to be assembled together, and that's when there is the true communion service, corporately gathered together. The meal is one of fellowship with Christ and thus fellowship with each other. The visible aspects to the sign of one bread and one cup is our one body with Christ and is to be ministered in tandem with the word of God and the gathering of his people. This is how we partake. It's a table for the family. And our last point, communion's preparation. How do you prepare then? We see its purpose. We see what is offered to it. We see who belongs there. But there's a preparation involved. The Belgic says those who have rightly examined themselves are invited to come to this spiritual feast. Well, how do you do that? How do you rightly examine yourself? The Belgic describes it in terms of humility, reverence, remembrance, thanksgiving, and confession of the Christian religion. It's that last point, confession of the Christian religion, why the church has adopted catechism, offensing of the table, teaching, teaching believers, understanding what they believe, and that no one could commune without first being thus trained and examined to see that their doctrine and belief were real. And thus they could partake 
This examination was a fruitful one, one that we partake of regularly, and why we read a form to prepare ourselves every time we partake. We'd be reminded of what's going on here. So that's the one side of it. But the other side is that we would come eagerly. Preparation and thinking of these things, to rightly examine yourself, isn't trying to make true believers not partake. It's not trying to fence them away. This has happened too much in the church. It's happened because we've thought ourselves unworthy, and indeed we are. We are unworthy. But it isn't by our worthiness that we come to the table. We don't come to the table by the strength of our faith. We come to the table by our faith. A faith that understands and recognizes our total depravity. The fact that we are saved in Christ alone that he washes us from sins, and it is by his righteousness that we can approach the table. That is in union and communion with him that our faith is strengthened. This is, as we've said before, a table for the weak, those who need it. And so don't don't cut yourself off from that because you think you're not worthy. Certainly when you examine yourself, if you see that your faith is lacking in the sense that you don't even know if it's real, if you see a pattern of life that is of unconfessed sin, if you have divisions and, and trials separating yourself from another believer, these are all things to cause you and should cause you to refrain. But all that's necessary to come and partake is a true faith and a desire to commune with Christ truly, to understand and experience that knowledge of union with Christ and thus forgiveness of your sins, that everything Christ has to offer is yours. That's a big one. When we come to partake of Christ, why, why did Christ say, it's, you're eating my body, you're drinking my blood? We like to tell people that, that you, you, we give all of us, our whole selves, my whole being is devoted to you, something like that. Well, that's what Christ has done in this sacrament. He's giving us his very body. And by doing so, we see, we then receive all that Christ receives. All the blessings that Christ has to offer in his word and gospel, we not only receive it in the sacrament, but are reminded of that great truth. We feed upon him, and so don't separate yourself. As one commentator says, by staying away from the Lord's Supper... A Christian disobeys God's command and spoils their souls by refusing that medicine our Lord has provided for their healing. Don't stay away. Don't refuse the medicine that God has prescribed for our healing because you think you're not worthy. No Christian has ever been worthy of it. But that's the gospel. That's why we partake. We receive all these things, and the only requirement is that true faith, that true confession. So we see that the Lord's Supper is the biblical understanding of Scripture. It's the Catholic, it's the true universal Orthodox interpretation of God's Word, and it's mysterious. It's something we can't fully comprehend, we never will be able to, but it's something glorious. And this is what we are to keep in mind, even as we approach the table today, Approach the table with anticipation and joy. 
Don't put into it what is not there. Don't think that just because you eat and drink, now you're forgiven because you had these elements. No. Understand that in receiving these elements in true faith, you're nourished. Your faith is strengthened in Christ. You are better equipped to face this world because you've been fed. You've been fed on him. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of the sacrament that we even now are about to partake of. We praise you for the truth of it. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have sent your spirit to be able to now fellowship with you. We thank you for conveying all of yourself, even in this sacrament. And we pray that we would receive it in true faith. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to keep in our minds its truth, that you would be greatly honored and glorified even here in this meal. We pray this in Christ's name.